It is so fun to be together and to see you all this morning. The air is a little crisp, and I love it. Um, well, we're going to do what we always do every morning. We're going to start out going over the disciplines quickly this morning. So turn your notebooks over, if you will, please. We're going to look at Wellspring's purpose, and that purpose is to equip and encourage the women, us, as we're gathered here, uh, to shepherd our hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God so that we live out the gospel, strengthening, strengthening the church and its gospel purpose. So we want to be women who are uniting our lives around that and um, understanding that and growing in that more and more. I want to share a quote with you that might help us understand this a little bit more, and it's from John Piper, and it's from the book Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. It's a really, really great book. Um, The elders have read it. We highly recommend it if you don't have it. Um, And it's supposed to be on the back of your homework. Yeah, your homework. But it's not. Don't look. It's not. (laughs) Because I blew it. I'm sorry. Um, But if you want it, I'd be happy to email it to you. Or I'll just go ahead and send out an email with it. and, And then you'll have it. Okay, but here's his quote. It says, Seeing and savoring Jesus Christ is the most important seeing and savoring you will ever do. Eternity hangs on it. One kind of seeing is with physical eyes, and the other is with spiritual eyes. When we see with our spiritual eyes, we see the truth and beauty and value of Jesus Christ for what they really are. Thus, a blind person today may see Christ more clearly than many who have eyes. Savoring Jesus Christ is the response to this kind of scene. When you see something as true and beautiful and valuable, you savor it. That is, you treasure it. You cherish and admire and prize it. Spiritual seeing and spiritual savoring are so closely connected that it would be fair to say if you don't savor Christ, you haven't seen Christ for who he is. If you don't prize him above all things, you haven't apprehended his true worth. So may God give you eyes to see and hearts to savor. And this is what discipline one's about. You know, this is what sh- this is what should drive us to His Word, right? Because we want to see Jesus, so that we might savor Him and treasure Him, so that we might value Him above all others. Isn't that a great quote? Well, that's part of what discipline one is, and discipline two is then moving into our household relationships where she ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. We want to be women who are in our homes where we're present and we're living out the gospel there, shepherding our own hearts first, making a gospel impact with those we come into contact with, those we live with, and those who enter into our home, not leapfrogging over those relationships that can be so easily overlooked at times, kind of taken for granted even. Even to do good things, like discipline, discipline three ministry. That's our third discipline. With a heart for God and the gospel, and fulfilling her ministry within her household, discipline one and two, and not leapfrogging over those, she steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. This is how we minister the gospel to people in the church and outside of the church. We step into people's lives, and we continue to grow in these disciplines as we're doing that. So, with that, please take out your outline. Discipline one, the heart. Are you passionate for salvation rest? I am really excited to share what I've learned. Um, This passage that we're going to be looking at this morning is in Hebrews. Chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And it's always been somewhat confusing to me. And so I'm I'm really thankful for Scott, um, just for being faithful to the Word of God and studying it and teaching it and build. And then um, 
having the opportunity to dive into it myself and to be able to study it and then to share it with you. Now, our passage this morning and next week is going to be Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. We're still in Discipline 1, the heart, but you're going to see this passage is not all about the heart, okay? But the heart is a very important part of what's in this lesson, and we're going to focus on verses 11 through 13. But this morning, we're only going to be in verse uh, 11. But we need to start by reading all of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4 in order to help us understand the context. Right? So please follow along with me as we look at, look at that. Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope, firm until the end. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me, and saw my works for forty years. Therefore I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray, where? In their heart. And they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Verse 12, some application. He says, take care. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Chapter 4, more application, he says, Therefore, let us fear. While a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we who have believed enter that rest, just as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished, from the foundation of the world. For he has said, some were concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today, saying through David, after so long, A time just has been said before. Today, if you hear his voice, here we go again. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. And our verse this morning, verse 11. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will, 
excuse me, will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of what? The heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, bringing us here this morning, for allowing us to gather and look at your precious word. There's only one reason that we would even desire to do that, and that's because you have given us a new heart with new desires through the sacrifice of your son on the cross. And Lord, we thank you. And may our boast be in you. And may we see you this morning. And may we leave here savoring you more and more. God, we praise you. Because you are so worthy. I pray for our hearts this morning that they would be teachable. That they would be soft. They would be ready to hear what you have for us. God, I I'm dependent on you. We're dependent on you. And we need you desperately. And so I ask that your spirit, Lord, by your spirit, would come and help us. I pray for each and every woman on this campus. I thank you for the women who are serving right now with the children faithfully, regularly. I thank you for the women who are sitting here in this room. It's only evidence of your amazing grace in our lives. And so we praise you. And Lord, I again, I just ask that you would um, help me to speak your truth. And that, Lord, you would be honored and glorified in it. And I pray this in your precious son's name. Amen. All right. So, on your outline... This morning, the question is, are you, are we passionate for salvation's rest? Are we passionate for salvation's rest? I'm wondering if anyone can relate to this. Have you ever been on a great vacation? You know, you've had a a great time, you've loved every minute of it, and now you're on your way home. And you've been uh, cooped up in the car for hours and hours. And you've been driving, it's late, you can't wait to be home. You're exhausted at this point, and all you want at this point is to rest, to sleep in your own bed, you know, with your own pillow in your own home. So you're driving, and I don't know about you, but doesn't the last hour, even half hour, just seem like the longest? Seems like the longest. And it would never cross your mind, it would especially never cross my husband's mind, to just pull over and rest in that last half hour, right? No. It wouldn't crush your mind to just take a little nap or to lollygag or just to coast home. I mean, can you imagine the speed limit on the freeway, 75, and you decide, you know, let's just go 25 and coast. No, we wouldn't do that. That's absolutely ridiculous. We keep our foot on the gas. You know, we keep accelerating. We keep going. At that point, I'm passionate for one kind of rest, the one I get when I'm in my home, in my bed, my pillow. It's a certain kind of rest. That's my goal. And at that point, I'm focused, and I'm passionate, and I'm diligent about getting there to that rest. And as we look at this passage this morning, there's kind of a parallel in the Christian life, and we want the attitude that's here in Hebrews uh, 4.11, the passage that we're going to look at this morning. Look at Hebrews 4.11. It says, Therefore, let us be diligent. Let us be diligent to enter that rest. Let us be passionate to enter that rest. The call here is to keep accelerating, to keep going, spiritually speaking, to not coast. See, this passage in Hebrews 4, it's a, it's a warning. The Christian life is not about coasting. It's about being diligent about being passionate, to be passionate for God's rest, 
verse 11. If you're coasting, it's very dangerous. The Christian life is about being diligent and passionate for one kind of rest, salvation's rest. It's a big kind of rest that we're going to learn about this morning. And I want to encourage you to just hang in there because (laughs) this can kind of be a little bit confusing. But just hang in there and let's just... um, Continue to ask the Lord to help us stay focused on this passage this morning, and we'll work our way through it. Now, it can kind of be confusing sometimes when we see the word salvation. When we see salvation or saved in Scripture, in the New Testament, salvation is spoken of in three different ways. There's a past tense way, we have been saved. And then there's a future tense, we will be saved. And there's a present tense. We are being saved. Look at that in verse 4. Excuse me, verse 3 of chapter 4. We who have believed enter that rest. That's past tense. We have believed and we've entered that rest. And then look at verse 10. The one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from all of his works. In other words, we've rested from our own self-righteous attempts to make ourselves right before God. We rest from that. That's a past tense reality for believers. And there's a future entering of the fullness of that rest. Revelation 14, 13 says, Where in heaven we will rest from all of our labors. In heaven we enter into a rest that we don't have right now. An ultimate expression of that rest is with him in heaven yet to come. But there's a rest we get now in Jesus Christ. And that's the rest we're going to talk about today. Verse 11 is a command. And it is in the present tense. Be diligent to enter that rest. There's a sense in scripture that we are, as Christians, still being saved. We're still entering that rest. You see, salvation's that big. That's how big it is. It's not just a, well, we have fire insurance, check, and that's all salvation is. You know, we're going to go to heaven someday. No, there's a sense in scripture that we are still being saved, a present tense reality, and there's a future tense that we won't ultimately be saved until heaven or until Christ returns. Christians have entered God's rest. If you're saved, you're saved. You're still entering that rest, Hebrews 4.11. And we will, in the future, enter the fullness of that rest in heaven. And Hebrews 4 includes all of those rests. It's all-encompassing. So as we look at our passage this morning, you might want to start thinking about this question. How would you say you're doing in terms of being diligent? You know, think about last week. Is there evidence in your life that you were diligent to pursue Christ, to pursue salvation's rest? We're told to pursue salvation's rest that God offers in Jesus Christ. Are we passionate for that? Is there evidence of zealousness in our lives for that? Because it may be tempting to think, does that really even matter? I mean, I'm saved. I'm saved. But we're going to see in our passage this morning, it matters. It is a big deal. Salvation is not just fire insurance. It's so much bigger than that. And that was an important subject for the original recipients of this letter. This letter was written to the Hebrew Christian. And you know, there were some in the church who were genuinely saved. And there were some who were not, just like any church. Right? These Hebrew Christians, they were Jews. And they left Judaism to follow Jesus Messiah. They heard Jesus' words, so to speak, that Scott just taught on a couple weeks ago in Matthew 11, where he said, Come to me, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. I will give you rest. It's a spiritual rest. It's a rest for your soul. And that was a huge thing for Jesus to say. See, rest represented something very significant for the Jews. 
because they knew that there was only one who could bring rest. And for Jesus to say that he was the one come to me and I will be the one to give you rest, spiritual rest, that was huge. You know what they heard? They heard, you don't have to work to earn any righteousness. It's all been done for you. That's what they heard. They heard the gospel. Well, their fellow countrymen, the other Jews who did not believe in Jesus Messiah, they began to persecute these Hebrew Christians for leaving Judaism. And some of those Jews who had professed Christ, they were starting to return back to Judaism, starting to think, well, maybe I can coast, you know, maybe live under some of Mosaic law again. They were persecuted, remember? These Hebrew Christians, they stopped accelerating. They started to just coast, spiritually speaking. They didn't realize the danger that was in that. And the writer of Hebrews, he's warning them because this kind of thing has happened before. Prior to to the coming of Christ, where God's people were tempted to not pursue God's great salvation with passion and with zeal and diligence. This happened over and over throughout redemptive history. And the writer of Hebrews is warning them, saying, Listen, this must not happen to you too. And ladies, this cannot happen to any one of us either. This must not happen to any one of us where we would become content to just coast instead of being passionate for God's salvation rest in Christ. You see, that was the concern of the writer of Hebrews. So in this passage, Hebrews 4, 11 through 13, we're going to see three passions of the Christian who diligently shepherds her heart into salvation's rest. Three. You have four on your outline. The first one's on the first page, and that's the only one we're going to cover today. Next week, we're going to cover the other three. And there's a number four. It's kind of a bonus one because it's not really from this passage. There's three from this passage. And we're going we're gonna to cover the first one today. So there's some questions here. And here's the first one. Number one, you can fill in the blank. Are you passionate to? Are you passionate to spend yourself? Are you passionate to spend yourself to enter the rest that comes from God? As we look at Hebrews 4.11 right away, we have a command. It says, let us be diligent. This is what is meant by spending yourself. The command. It means that this is not something that we do accidentally. No, it's something intentional. It's not something reflexive. You know, when you go to the doctor and he hits your knee and just bounces up and you didn't tell it to? No. Being diligent has nothing to do with a reflexive action. See, it's an action where we are very intentional. In other words, we're to be zealous. We're to be eager. We're to be diligent and thoughtful about what comes next. Look at, look at your passage. It says, let us be diligent to enter that rest. It's a rest that's already been mentioned. See, it's not just any rest. So, before we move on, there are... Three things that tell us we need to look back to help us understand this. And that's why we read all of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4. Well, first is the reason, or the first reason is the word, therefore. Okay, we always ask when we see that word, therefore, what? Yeah, what is therefore, therefore? And the second thing is that rest. We have to understand what that rest is. And then the command. There's a command. There's a sense of urgency in the command to be diligent, right? So the rest that the writer of Hebrews has been talking about in chapter 3 and chapter 4 is a very big spiritual salvation rest in Christ. And this is what God has always had in mind for his people throughout redemptive history. See, from the very beginning, God was so gracious. Even when he delivered his people out of Egypt and they were wandering in the wilderness, he gave them smaller cycles of rest to point them and to help them to understand the more important, bigger spiritual rest. It's kind of like a dad. Scott uses this analogy. 
who um, gives his little three-year-old, um, or he, he actually wants him to ride an adult bike, but he's not going to give his little three-year-old an adult bike, right? He's going to give him one of those um, uh, big wheels, you know, or whatever. And then he's going to, yeah, he's going to give him a tricycle. And then maybe he's going to give him a little bit bigger bike with training wheels. All to prepare him. All to train him. All to point him to the bigger bike. To the big bike, ultimately. And that's what kind of what God is doing, was doing in the past. See, all of the smaller rests that God gave, they were never to replace or stand in place of the bigger rest. Like, the trike was never the end. These smaller rests were never the end either. They were always to point to something beyond themselves to the greater rest that God had for them. Do you know what rest I'm talking about? Those of you that were here last year, you might. Or in your Bible reading plan, you might be talk, you might be reading that now. But God gave cycles of rest to Israel. <clears throat> there was a weekly Sabbath rest. It was a rest for a day. Every seven days, there was a rest that came around. So every week, there was a reminder that there's rest. And then, every seventh year, there was a land rest, a land Sabbath. They were to give the land a rest for a whole year, and it came around every seven years. And then there was this really big rest. Every 50th year, there was a rest for the nation. And it was called what? Yeah, the year of Jubilee. It's called the year of Jubilee, where if they had slaves or had purchased land, um, they all went back um, to the Hebrew, and then the slave, if he wanted to go free, could go free. And that year, that, that rest, that year of Jubilee, would usually only come around about once, once in your lifetime. It's only 50, 50 years. Not once a week, not every seven days, not every seven years, but just once in a lifetime. And these rests for Israel, um, this is important to understand, they were given at Mount Sinai, these rests were, in the wilderness prior to entering into the promised land. And then the promised land was another kind of rest for Israel. That was to make them think about the greater rest that God always intended for them and himself. Hang in there, okay? Go back to Hebrews 3, verse 7. Remember the concern from the writer of Hebrews. He says, therefore... Just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now remember, Israel already had all of these smaller cycles of rest. They've got the they've got the weekly Sabbath, the seven year land Sabbath. They've got the year of jubilee. So what rest now is God talking about that they might not enter? It's this bigger, greater rest of salvation in God Himself that all these small smaller rests were pointing to to help them see their need for a greater rest. A greater salvation rest. And then later, entering into the promised land, remember, that's another kind of rest for Israel that was to make them think beyond that rest to a greater rest that God gives in salvation. See what it says in Hebrews 4, chapter 6 through 8. Hebrews 4, verse 6 through 8. Sorry. Verse 6. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, that rest, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. He again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as it had been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest in the promised land, he would not have spoken of another day after that. See, here the writer of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 95, written by David. Now, what was David in Israel's history? He was their king, right? 
Was he their king in the wilderness? No. He was their king in the promised land. They're already in the promised land, and the writer of Hebrews is quoting David from Psalm 95, and he says, again, this happened. David's saying, again, this happened. David's saying, today, in the promised land, Israel, make sure you don't harden your hearts if you hear his voice. So, you see, Psalm 95 It was written long after those smaller cycles of rest were given in the wilderness. And it was written after, long after Joshua had led uh, Israel into the rest in the promised land. So it was being missed in the wilderness. And now in David's day, he's seeing his generation doing the same thing in the promised land. It's being missed. And see, the writer of Hebrews, what he's doing is he's establishing a pattern here. His readers. His readers, these Hebrew Christians, the persecuted church, they're now in danger of what? They're now in danger of the same thing. Missing salvation's rest, the greater rest that is in Christ. God's big salvation rest that he offers, it seems to be continual, it seems to continually be in danger of being missed. Look at verse 9. He says, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So even though there are all of these other rests, there's still some kind of Sabbath rest for the people of God beyond these. Verse 10 says, For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works. He's saying, The one who is that Sabbath rest of God, he's the one who rests from trying to do his own good works, to establish his own self-righteousness. We give up on that. Remember, that made them weary and heavy laden. Remember, Jesus said, come to me when you're like that. So there's a rest that's marked by the abandonment of have good works to establish your own self-righteousness. And verse 11 says, be diligent to enter that rest. Be diligent to enter that rest. See, the writer of Hebrews now, in his day, he's seeing history repeat itself. His readers, these Hebrew Christians, the persecuted church, they're in danger of missing the greater rest in Christ. That's the rest that it was in mind here in the Hebrew, uh, in mind here from the writer of Hebrews, and the danger for Christians at any time is what the very same thing. You know, we might think, "Hey, we're Christians. We're all right. We've got our Bibles. We do Christian things. We go to a great Christian church." But the danger is that we might get to a place where we think it's okay to coast. We won't be diligent. It's the point here. Please understand. God's plan is that his great salvation rest requires believers to be diligent. That's how he set salvation up to be. That we would be pursuing salvation's rest, not coasting. It's not something that we do Accidentally or reflexively, nonchalantly. It's not, that's not what we do. We're called to be diligent, to be thoughtful. There's nothing accidental. So what would it mean? What would it mean to spend yourself? Here are two things that you can write down. Two points. Okay, and if you're like me, you've got your pen and you've got your paper and you're ready to make a list of things to do. Tell me what I need to do. Just give me the list, and I'm ready to go spend myself. Right? (laughs) Here's the first thing. Spend yourself to know. Spend yourself to know, first, what Christ accomplished at the cross for guilty sinners. That's you and me. Spend yourself to know the gospel. You spend yourself to know that first. This isn't about spending yourself to do anything to get saved or to earn salvation or to stay saved. 
we must abandon that. But spend yourself to know what Christ accomplished at the cross for us. Look at this. Here's what the writer of Hebrews started with, what he said so far in chapter 1, verse 3. And I really just want to encourage you, it can be so easy to check out when you hear this. But let these truths, these amazing truths, penetrate your heart. He says he is the radiance of his glory, Jesus is. He is the exact representation of his nature and he upholds all things. All things by the word of his power. And when he made purification of sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He made purification for sin. You can be purified. And then he sat down. He's done. It's finished. For salvation's rest, we need to spend ourselves to know gospel realities, gospel truths, gospel declarations like that. I just want to know that more and more. Don't you? And then chapter 2, verse 17, he says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of his people. That's what Jesus did for us. That word, propitiation, well, it means satisfaction. And we can even add to that word, exhaustion. God's wrath is not just satisfied, but it was satisfied and it was completely exhausted. There's, we've heard this before, there's, there's nothing left in the cup. Ladies, listen. Scott says this to us a lot, so please don't check out. Let these truths just penetrate our heart. Every time you sin, think about the last time you sinned. I don't have to think very long. You know what? It doesn't even cross God's mind to go and grab that cup of wrath because you sinned. Because if you looked in it, there's nothing to pour out. Because it's empty. It's exhausted. He made propitiation. He satisfied God's wrath. He exhausted it. And for salvation's rest, you first and most must spend yourself to know these kinds of gospel truths. We're very forgetful people. So remind yourself, discipline one, Remind others. Discipline two. Discipline three. I need to be reminded. I need it. This is this is this is what preaching and shepherding your heart with the gospel is. And then the second point. Spend yourself for salvation's rest to spend yourself in entrusting. Spend yourself in entrusting your life to Christ and his work on the cross. Spend yourself in entrusting your life to Christ and his work on the cross. It's not enough to just know it. We must entrust our lives to it. To believe these things, we must know them. Think and meditate on them. Expose our hearts to them so we can know them. So we can trust in them and believe in them and be satisfied in them and in him. Biblical salvation is about us diligently entrusting ourselves to those gospel truths, to those gospel realities. Now in hearing all of this diligence for entering salvation's rest, please listen very carefully. This is, this is not a diligence that comes from uncertainty about whether or not you're purified, okay, or an uncertainty, you're not sure if God's wrath has been satisfied, that's not what we're talking about here in this diligence. That's not it at all. Actually, it's just the opposite. This diligence 
is a diligence that flows from the certainty. Flows from the certainty that God's wrath has been propitiated, satisfied, exhausted by Christ for you. For those who are born again, for Christians, if you're a believer, we can absolutely be certain of that. And we're called to be diligent in that certainty, from that certainty about what Christ has accomplished. Get this. It's actually God's intention that your diligence, that you're spending yourself, is from a confident trust in what he said he did. He did. Now let me ask you something. What may we, at times, be tempted to do with something that we're really certain of or sure of? In our, in our flesh, we can get lazy. We can start to take our foot off the gas, and we can start to coast about things we're certain of, right? Thinking like, well, I've got my fire insurance. And you know what? He even said he's going to finish the work that he started in me. So I just want to go on cruise control for a while. That's our very small view of salvation. God did not set salvation up to be that way. Because of your certainty, because of, um, because of your certainty, you, you're, you're diligent and you want on those very promises that we talked about in the gospel. And that is how God set salvation up to be. So in your diligence, spend yourself to know first what Christ accomplished at the cross for us, for guilty sinners, and spend yourself in entrusting your life to them. You know, we all know Philippians 1.6, right? What does it say? I'm not sure of this bit. No, that's not what it says, right? I'm not sure. No, it says I'm confident. I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul says I'm confident of this very thing. And then on in Philippians 2, what does he say? He says work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is working, right? For it's God who's, who's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you hear that? He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for or because God is at work in you. You see, it's not work for our salvation. It's work out our salvation, the salvation that we already have. Remember we're in that mixed condition, right? There's three P's that might be helpful to remember in this working it out. We've been freed from the penalty of sin. And we've been freed from the power of sin. But we, we still have the presence of sin. That's our mixed condition. That's the middle part of that chart we got last week. So in working out our salvation, in battling the presence of sin, we must understand that the first two, the penalty of sin and the power of sin, they were paid for by Christ. Now, I still fight, I still must fight the presence of sin. Okay, And we fight it with and we fight it from the gospel, from a new heart with a new heart, in my mixed condition, with love for Christ. Remember, there is a perseverance of the saints. We endure, we press on. We're to be diligent to enter that rest. So, I know this is a lot. Here's the summary up to this point. There is nothing accidental about us spending ourselves. We need to be intentional. And we are especially, we're to be especially thoughtful or intentional in our zeal to enter the great salvation rest that was achieved for us by Christ. So spend yourself to know first what Christ accomplished at the cross for guilty sinners and spend yourself in entrusting 
your life to them. And the question I want to ask you is this. Is this your passion? Is this your passion, ladies? Is this our passion? As women in Christ, is this our passion? I mean, can you only imagine the impact of the gospel just right here in this room? We're passionate for this. And I know personally, for me, I'm very convicted. I have a tendency to coast, to be passionate about other things, for sure. And I get lazy. You know, kind of remember thinking, I know it's all been done for me, right? But I'm not, and I, I'm not thinking rightly about salvation when I think that way. It's a very small view. And so I'm so thankful for this morning. Hebrews 4.11 says, Be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall. And how they fall, look at it. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, through following the same example of what? Disobedience. Is it our passion to not fall? To be concerned? Is it our passion to be concerned about just how devastating disobedience is? Unchecked disobedience. Are we passionate about that? Look at look back at chapter 3, verse 18. He says, And who did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. And then look at chapter 4, verse 6. He says, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter that rest, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed because of what? Disobedience. So this passage is a really great reminder that we need to really be concerned are we as concerned as we should be about our disobedience? I don't know about you, but I can't even make light of my disobedience, of my sin. I know that I am well aware of it, of others' disobedience more than I am, of my own, and this is just a very sobering warning. So then what's the answer? Preach the gospel to your disobedience. Romans 6, verses 6 and 7 says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free, freed from sin. That's what we preach to our disobedience hearts. By grace, we've been united with Christ crucified and Christ raised from the dead. Why? So that we might supernaturally, so we might powerfully be freed from the tyranny of sin. When you're disobedient, you know, when sin is just looming over you, and you're discouraged and it's heavy it's weighing you down be diligent be diligent to remind yourself of gospel truths so we preach the gospel to our disobedience and if you're struggling with that I really want to encourage you um, several years ago Scott and Smith did a series that was so impactful on Romans 6 kind of long, like weeks, but it's so worth it. Just listen to one at a time if you're struggling with that. It's so good, and it's on the website, Romans 6 series. If you have any questions, you can ask one of us. To spend ourselves, is it, are we passionate for this? To spend ourselves to enter the rest that God has for us, that he is for us, and, and that he'll yet provide for us and his son, Jesus. And maybe right now, you're feeling a major sense of guilt because you know you're not. You know you're not spending yourself. And you're feeling very weak. Well, the writer of Hebrews, 
He knew what we needed to hear after that very heavy morning. Look at chapter 14. Chapter, verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14. Sorry, we're going to finish up chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are without sin. Therefore, let us draw near. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, this is very sobering and I am so thankful that we can draw near to your throne of grace to help and we have your spirit. And so Lord, now I pray that we would be hearers of your word not that we would be doers of your word not just hearers Lord that we would be diligent passionate women to enter the rest that we have in you and Lord would you use it for your good to make much of your son with whoever whomever you bring into our lives we love you. We pray and commit this time together in our small groups. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay. Just um, your homework is due today. And um, take a look at your uh, homework for next. You have two weeks to do this one. And as we start asking questions about um, your current spiritual attitude that's in your home, that's question number three. I just wanted to um, kind of talk about that just for a quick minute. Um, we're going to be moving in very soon to discipline to our homes. So we're starting to kind of ask those types of questions. But this question is talking about you. We want, we want to know your Impact, right? We're making an impact. And so I just want to remind you, that's, that's all we want to know. No blame shifting, that sort of thing. And then on a different note, question four and five, um, Scott usually just asks these questions to the guys in build. But uh, we thought and he thought that it would be um, good to just hear your hearts in these questions. Do the best you can. If you don't want to answer them, it's fine. We just do the best you can, and we, we um, and the elders uh, would love to hear from you.